Welcome back, Dreadfuls. You're listening to another episode of Left for Dread, the horror podcast for everyone from newbies to fanatics. We are not a spoiler-free podcast, so make sure you've seen the movie or movies we're talking about before you listen. I'm one of your hosts, Ray. Chris! And we are in a spooky haunted house with Latin and it's made out of windows! Now the door's gone. There's metal sliding doors everywhere. Look, I found an engine that looks like a bunch of turbine drill engines strapped together. This house is great. <laughs> that library, though. <laughs> that library, though. Okay. In case no one understood any of that, we are talking about the 2001 remake of the 1960 classic 13 Ghosts. It's literally today years old when I found that. It's this uh, the 13 Ghosts 2001 is a remake. I was like, I had no idea it was, ma- it was originally. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay. You learn something new every day. So, like, because I think the 1960 movie was supposed to be in, like, 3D, they gave the audience glasses to, like, see the ghost. That was the nod to the glasses they wear in the movie. There are 12, no, 13 ghosts, and if you're brave enough, you can reach out and get them! Yeah, exactly. Like I, like, I want to do the 1960s version, but I needed to do the 2001 version on its own because this movie has been called a hot mess. This movie has been called trash, but it's our trash. Like, I agree. So I, I can't remember the last time I've watched this film. I, I know, I know I definitely remember watching this on reruns on sci-fi, but I remember I, I had fond memories of watching this movie. When I watched this again for the first time in like a very long while, I was like, I don't remember like half of this stuff. <laughs> and it was, it was a lot hokier and a lot cheesier than I remember, but I still loved it. It's, it's, Again, it's trash, but it's my trash. I loved it. Again, so. yes. Oh my god, yes. And I honestly, though, like, I think it holds up. I like, I still enjoy the shit out of this movie. I went ahead and bought the collector's edition on Blu-ray of this movie because I live for this shit. You know, I know uh, as often as we bash about remakes and stuff, and I, I mean, this film is a remake, but I would love to see, like, a long-form storytelling variant of this like a mini series netflix yes, series yes i would too like, yeah cuz like the, I, mean, I mean we'll get into it but there's a there's a lot i guess one of the things that might be a little bit clunky about this movie is it does so much exposition because there's a lot of uh world building and lore whether it's about the arcana or like the, the macguffin about what whatever his name like the the latin demon possessed inventor and the name and the machine Basilius? yes basilius or, or or just even the canon about the ghosts themselves you know there's a lot to unpack there and like you know they don't really re- they don't really go into the backstory of the ghosts but um there is a lot of history and thought and lore uh, attached to that as my shit so i think that this this movie or franchise i think this is one of the franchises that kind of deserves a remake there's so much talent talent out there that can like give this like a, a professional facelift and there's a lot of meat left to pick especially like the background of the ghosts so i guess before we we del- deep dive any further uh let's give a quick recap for anyone who decided to not pause and watch the movie before listening to this podcast yes okay so film synopsis state-of-the-art remake of the classic William Castle horror film about a family that inherits a spectacular old house 
from an eccentric uncle. There's just one problem. The house seems to have a dangerous agenda all its own. Trapped in their new home by strangely shifting walls, the family encounters powerful and vengeful entities that threaten to annihilate anyone in their path. That is a very misleading synopsis, but I don't care. Half of that feels like the 1960 version, and then they tried to make it sound scary. I would like to make an addendum. It's basically a family trapped with 12 ghosts and Matthew Lillard losing his shit every five Uh, seconds. Yes. That is the film. (laughs) That's 100% the film. So where to begin? So I I think we touched upon this a little bit about the effects. And this movie was this movie was released in 2001. I would say like the the effects here were impressive, especially like all the practical makeup stuff, the ghosts, like just like the sheer amount of like production set design with all the moving walls and the glass. And yes, there's some just there's some shoddy CGI, but for the most part, like like the sets that they built was really great. And I just love like the piece of trivia that I was reading about it where. They were saying how the special effects and the sound design and mixing were were so elaborate and complex. Like it actually worked against the movie, where they they, they found it painful to sit through. One thing I'll say about the sound is doing background like research for this is a lot of the ghosts have their own um, sounds that sort of introduce them, kind of like musical cues, but they're just these whispers or screams or. And a lot of the ghosts have sort of like overlapping audio cues. And that kind of takes you out of the moment when you can, when you know it's coming and you hear it and then the ghost pops up, it really takes you out of the moment. So that I sort of agree with you in the sense that like, maybe you just try to do just a little too much because one of the the big things that that they did with this movie was the ghosts are played by actors. They're not CGI. They're there on screen with them. They're interacting with them. And, and that's actually incredible to see. And for example, for the torso, they hired, they hired like a double amputee, but they just wrapped around, I guess, like a, a green screen face mask. And they, they digitally edited out his head. So he just looked like he was just walking around with a head or legs, which is pretty cool. There was a lot of care that went into these ghosts. They each have a very detailed backstory. Black Zodiac. The Black Zodiac, yeah. And they each have a very detailed backstory. You can find it on the extra section of the Blu-ray or the DVD. It's not touched on in the movie. And I like that because I think it adds to it. But in 2020, in like the recent world of remakes, I'm not saying we need a remake of 13 Ghosts, but it would be nice to have like a Netflix spinoff series or even a Hulu spinoff series of the 13 Ghosts. Like every episode is the ghost in their backstory or some shit. Like I just think that would be cool. It kind of and kind of like uh, Mindhunter or other shows where like there's like short vignettes that ties the all all the episodes together. You just have like shots of like. Tony Shalhoub and his family, you know, living living life like before, during, and after the whole Thirteen Ghosts. Or uh, even incident. Cyrus. How did Cyrus get into this? Or, or yes, what Cyrus. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Like no offense to Tony Shalhoub, but I really could give a fuck about your character. Like I want to know the lives of these ghosts and how did Cyrus become involved in all this shit? Like that. Even we get Matthew Lillard back in it. Like you know, he Matthew he's the Lillard medium. wants to come back from Scream. Did you hear? I mean, side tangent for like a hot second. Very recently, because Scream Five is happening, I'm not like super thrilled, but it is. 
Matthew Lillard has put out a statement very recently, now that the cast is coming up, saying, I'm not convinced that Stu died from his wounds. Like, he wants to come back and, like, make I mean, in, a, in an age where, like, it's inevitable to have, like... Like, Stu, what the fuck have you been doing all this time? He, he's been... He's been he's been like chilling with in a mental institution no with lori holden and just like or you know just chill, you know like he comes in he comes back as a badass like living the forest with lori and like learning how to shoot guns <laughs> even yeah sure even dennis too though because that's an interesting thing because again like the canon in this movie is that you believe that psychics are real and that ghosts are very tangible and i'm not poo-pooing that but when you have two eccentric people like cyrus you can follow sort of his trajectory while you're telling the ghost stories and how he met up with Kalina and Damon and how he met up with Dennis. Like, how do all these people find each other and cross paths in this universe? That is something I would watch. I just want to see more excuses for Matthew Leto just to freak out. <laughs> right? It's so okay, bad. Okay, but whose so freakouts are better, Matthew Lillard and 13 Ghosts or Nick Cage? <laughs> Nick Cage. Uh, Nick Cage, come on. Nick Cage. <laughs> in, in, in this world where you and I constantly shit on remakes, I think that telling a story of the, telling the backstory of these ghosts more, because the thing in the extras is he takes you to the library and there are artifacts connected to each ghost. He takes you through each of their backstories, but they're tainted because it's Cyrus telling you their backstory through his eyes and why they were a perfect candidate for his collection. And that doesn't really give you the full story of these people. Like who were they when they were alive? You know what I mean? Like, I just, I think that that is an interesting story to tell, especially given how far storytelling, visual storytelling has come since 2001. It's, it's perfectly set up. You got like 12 ghosts. And then you have you have like these all these interesting characters on the periphery that, I mean I think that's a, a, a another thing that that's clunky and it ties to my first point like there's a ton of exposition there's a ton there's a ton of stuff that you just have to take for granted you just have to roll with oh yeah Kalina's a you know she's a spirit releaser spirit saver you know whatever I think she has a she has a colleague named Damon and. I mean, and the fact that Dennis is a psychic, like, like, how did Cyrus find Dennis? And are there other people like Dennis who are, are like, as sensitive to ghosts as he is? So, like, there's a lot to mine, and we only see, like, a very, very small snippet crammed into a 90-minute movie. I feel like this movie would, would have benefited if it had, like, maybe, like, an extra 15, 20 minutes to, like, let all this lore and exposition breathe a little bit and, like... Instead of like cramming all of it in like two 10 minute segments where like they're just, you know, just going through lore, going through all these facts like a, a billion times per second, like whether it's Dennis or uh, Karina giving the exposition. I do, I, you know, as much as we shit on remakes, I think the remakes can be great, but the thing about Hollywood, they just, they use it as a crutch. Here with 13 Ghosts, there's just a lot left to unpack and. I, and I think, you know, with fresh eyes and new vision, and yeah, you you bring back the legacies, bring back Matt Lillard, bring, you know, and Shed Elizabeth, she's still around, you know, whatever. And, uh, and um, Ambeth Davids, and like, she's still kicking too. So like, bring them all back, you know, let them play in the, in the sandbox again. I 100% agree. I just, I think that for an hour and a half, 
there is there is a lot to go on. But the, I re- I never saw this movie in theaters. The first time I saw it, I think it was on DVD. I watched it with people that had seen it before. So I could sort of react however I wanted to react. So I know that while all this exposition was happening, I would listen to the stories. But I would also, and I know a lot of people are going to be like, damn, you are an annoying person to watch a movie with. I would pause the movie and look at the pages to see what I could pick up from all of that. Like the symbols on the cubes, the Latin, what does the Latin mean? The drawings. I would just try to take in as much as I possibly could. What's not annoying about this movie is that I like that it doesn't give you everything all at once because I do think it would be too much if they tried to expend the 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 mythos too much. I like that there were extras on the DVD. I like that you have to like go find that. My problem with it is is it's done through Cyrus's eyes. You get a tainted perspective because he's taking all of these spirits for a reason because they're all tormented in some capacity. They're all they're not great. They didn't have they either didn't have good lives on earth or they died horrific deaths and he's collecting them for that reason. So I would that's why I would be really excited to see a series that's just based on the lives of these ghosts and how Cyrus sort of finds all these people and how he connects with all these other people. I mean, for Christ's sakes, they have Demon in this movie as Colina's partner, and he's in this movie for what, a minute, if that, and then he dies? Less than that. Less than that. And he is one of the people that has an interview on the Blu-ray on the collector's edition Blu-ray. So they have updated, like, they're not old interviews. These are new interviews for this movie. And Damon's one of the ones that's on the Blu-ray. Like, dude, you were in it for like a minute. Why are you here? <laughs> but they do interview two of the ghosts, two of the people that play the Juggernaut and, and the Hammer, which those are some good interviews. <laughs> and those are some pretty fucked up. We'll get to the ghosts later because I do want to like get into get into them a little bit um you want to talk about visually haunting things to look at the jackal gave me nightmares for years after i saw this movie the first time um angry angry princess like her makeup was crazy amazing her whole scene with shannon elizabeth is unnerving and stunning and i i really didn't remember that bathroom scene like i honestly i don't know why it's like um I thought it was a little bit, a little bit ham-fisted how much like, Shannon Elizabeth was fixated on like the amazingness of this bathroom. But I get it, I get it. You know, times are hard, and now you have like this too good to be true kind of situation. That scene where it just cuts between Shannon Elizabeth like just playing with the water, and you just see uh, the angry princess just leer at her and like start turning like the faucet to blood. It's like that's so cool. It was it was such a really well done shots with dichotomies because it flips back into like normal water and then blue water and then like the princess is there she's not there then she get and then like and the, all the scarring and like the practical makeup work on on her which is top notch so oh, i find it i'm only gonna bring this up because you brought up that scene so the backstory i'm just going to talk about 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 the backstory for the angry princess only because chris brought it up the angry princess was apparently quite a beautiful girl in in life, but she didn't see it. So it sort of fueled her desire to achieve uh, perfection and perfect beauty. 
So she underwent plastic surgery and a whole bunch of other things to try and, and, and become the epitome of beauty. Trigger warning only for this ghost, really, until we start talking about other ones. And then I'll, I'll initiate trigger warnings for all those. But massive trigger warning for this one. Uh, skip ahead now if you don't want to listen to it. She saw in, an imperfection that she, only she saw, which is also a reflection of, of mental illness and body dysmorphia and things like that. And she tried to perform surgery on herself, and that's why she looks the way she does. And she ended up blinding herself in one eye and permanently like mutilating herself beyond saving. So the reason why she looks like that is because she slashed herself repeatedly in, in her bathtub to sort of you know, to commit suicide or to complete suicide, as I've heard people start to say now. So it started as this this uh, uh, obsession with imperfection and, and, and the perfect idea of beauty. So the fact that Elizabeth Shannon is standing in the mirror admiring herself in this beautiful bathroom and what her life could be like and she's fixing her hair and and all of that and you watch oh, her do it show is so sad like you just see the angry princess leer behind and she's like and she's and like touching like, her hair and yeah yeah yeah, and I was yeah. like, oh. <laughs> so that and so that that whole dichotomy of that scene is just it really like uh, like you don't you don't really get the backstory. So it's it, it kind of makes it even more tragic when you when you hear about that if you really like want to take a deep dive into her backstory. But even even without knowing all of that, the fact that the first look that you get of the angry princess's world through the glasses is this beautiful glass bathroom covered in blood and it says i'm sorry on the floor like that is that's just it go, it just for me the first time i watched it i was like wow not all of these ghosts are are evil cyrus is just a dick plays up like a lot of these ghosts but like um yeah yeah they look creepy but like they just look creepy like like i think only the jackal the juggernaut and the hammer i think those are the only three ones that like oh no well did the angry princess kill anyone the lawyer well technically the glass killed the lawyer yeah but she didn't help yeah well yeah well i guess the lawyer had it coming because he was he was like insulting her and like taunting her yeah he taunted her he cackled her he was being your typical douche while she was in the cube he said hey nice tits and then she sliced him in half yeah, and I love, like, that cheesy one-liner. Looks like uh, the lawyer split. Yeah, it's like, ah, I see what you did. <laughs> right, but okay, so so that cheese factor I love about this movie, and I think that it oh, makes... That's like, that's, like, that's, like, an integral part of the film. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Yeah, if you're expecting, like, a movie about, like, intense gravitas and, like, existentialism and like, the this meaning of life, movie. this is not that film. <laughs> No, this is this is just a semi schlocky but super well done ghosts practical effects like the juggernaut that guy John uh, John DeSantis John yeah John DeSantis I think is incredibly tall in real life but they he is wearing I believe foam rubber um, pieces on him that make him look bigger this way and he's covered in, in bullet holes and, and, and all that stuff. And um, they made him even look more menacing and towering than he actually is in real life. The magic of prosthetics and makeup. Right. And again, like all, 
all practical effects. I wish that there had been an extra on the DVD that sort of went more into each ghost, like what they did for each ghost in terms of practical effects. Plus, they didn't, because like they you they, know, did they did for some, so- not every single uh, one of them. That blows. I mean, they put so much work into like the individual backstories of the ghosts. Like, you know, yes. Yes. And that was how the makeup sort of came to be, though. There was intricate backstories for each one of these ghosts, and it was presented to the makeup people, and they were like, oh, okay, they're like, these are going to be real tangible people, so here are their backstories, and they sort of crafted the makeup around these backstories, like, how would this have happened, and they tinkered and played with it and eventually got to what you see on screen. And I think that that's amazing. And, like, related to that, do you know what else is amazing? Just, like, the imagination of the writers. You know, again, I keep saying lore. But, like, let's talk about the Black Zodiac itself. Like, I I don't even... Is that like, actually a real thing? No. Uh, it's not? Okay. No, it was specifically made for this movie. Well, you could have fooled me, because I, I loved it. Like, and, you know, just, But again, like... that is also something you can get into in a TV series when you're discussing the background, like, the backstory of all these ghosts. Like, get into all of that. I think that would be interesting for the diehard fans. I know I'm not the only one that purchased this collector's edition. <laughs> so the the fans are out there. They exist. It's like the people who like Ghost Ship. It's that same sort of like horror schlock tied together, not comedy, kind of still terrifying in a way, weak-ish plot writing thing. But it's good. <laughs> it is good. Um, also, okay, so uh, I'm sorry, I'm, 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 I just went on a deep dive. I just looked up Black Zodiac. So yeah. this might be just like a creepypasta or like Probably some internet. creepypasta. Or maybe some made up thing, but okay. um, <laughs> I think we should tell me. Uh, tell me. Okay, tell me. we're just going to go through this right now. Like, we just got derailed, but it's fine. Um, so derail it, Chris. This is our show. So, this is the quote unquote, the real Black Zodiac. Quote, the Black Zodiac is the dark counterpart of the Western astrological zodiac, both of which originated from the Babylonian zodiac through centuries of repeated reinterpretation and adaptation by numerous cultures, including Greek, Roman, and Hindu. The original zodiac was filtered to represent the only the good side of one's personality. This long history of revision eventually resulted into the modern zodiac that became the pillar of Western astrology. As the name denotes, the Black Zodiac represents the evil side of the human creature. These demons are one's inherent will and capacity to ultimately cause harm to oneself and others. This evil, however, should not be feared. Like good, it is harnessed and turned into something useful, so sublimation. Each of the Black Zodiac embodies the morbid traits that are as unique as each person. It is important to know, face, and nurture one's own demons in order to manipulate for personal benefit. I mean, that just sounds like someone took a very logical understanding of what a dark inversion of a regular Zodiac would be. And, and so, 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 Rai, do you want to know what your dark Zodiac is? Hell yeah! So wouldn't this be the same for both of us? Wouldn't this technically be our Black Zodiac? This is our dark Zodiac! Yes! Yes! <laughs> we are... <laughs> we are the Leviathan, and quote, you are the Leviathan, a monstrosity in a dark abyss. The great potential that you possess is locked away for good reason, but the mere thought of it is enough to strike terror, even to yourself. You fear your own demons because you know very well what they're capable of. 
but you are neither weak or nor coward. Your struggle to gain control is a victory in itself. Um, so yeah. Fuck. <laughs> what? So we're monsters inside, right? But we know, and we, uh, and we know our own power, and we all, we know. We know I mean, that I could have told you I was a fucking monster, but that's that okay. Not, I'm sorry. This is so so edgy Tumblr. This is like the worlds of like Live Journal and Zenga is what's happening right now. Okay, so Sarah, we're doing your birthday next. I fucking can't with this shit. This is beautiful. This is like the, my favorite tangent ever. Okay, so Sarah, you are the fallen demon. Your past is a ghost that follows you everywhere. You have made mistakes and you live with the repercussions. People have wronged you and you will never forget. Others may see you as a broken person and they may be right. They may look down on you because you were defeated, but you've been to hell and you never you never will go back. Okay, but I can use that to describe me and about like 20 other people that I know. That's no, bullshit. <laughs> These are just so vague. I mean, yeah. This is this is a vague this is vague zenging, vague vague live journaling, vague booking. Vague, vague posting. <laughs> vague posting. Uh, sorry. Okay. I didn't finish the last line. You will redeem yourself no matter what it is. Oh. You you will redeem yourself no matter what it takes. So that's Sarah, <laughs> the funny demon. Oh my god. Okay. God. <laughs> okay, okay, you're right. Okay, rain. We're gonna do rain. Rain. Whoa, okay. I like this. I, th- I don't. I haven't read it, but I just like the title. I think it. I think it. It speaks to me, Rain, for some reason. So, Rain, Rain, you are the War Maiden. Get the fuck out! I can't. The, the War Maiden is a paradox. You appreciate beauty and anticipate decay. This conflicting nature of yours may be regarded as puzzling and ultimately disturbing by others. Thus, very few can see the beauty of your ways. Seen through. Comforting lies enables you to embrace the hardships of reality. You stand in the thin line between the evil and the benign. Ooh. I'm just gonna call Rain the War Maiden, all, like just without any context. I'm just gonna call her that. I'm sure she'll appreciate that. Oh god, you know what, uh, right I know we haven't finished reviewing the movie. Oh shit! But I can legit do this for the rest of the podcast. This is, can this be the rest of the podcast because I love yeah. it. This is do Nick Cage's. This is Nick. Oh, Nick Cage! <laughs> Hell yes! Right, you're gonna, genius. And then we're gonna reel this back in, and we're gonna keep no. talking about the movie. <laughs> okay, okay. Do Matthew Lillard's after Nick Cage, and oh, then we're okay. gonna write it back okay, in. Okay, great. I this is the most fun on a derailment on this podcast that I think I've ever this had. Is so beautiful. I'm sorry, Jeff Foles. I, I we apologize. I'm I, not sorry. Okay, I was for Ray. Uh, for I won't speak for Ray. I will not apologize. This is the best. Okay, so Nick Cage was born on January 7th. So he's a Leviathan with us. Yay! We're in a cage match. Well, I know you're week. happy. I'm very happy. Okay, well that didn't count. We need it we need another who's our name a favorite name a um, well all right. I'll do the math a little bit, but name another person like your favorite horror director, favorite horror actor, whoever. Oh favorite oh fuck. Um Catherine Isabel. Catherine Isabel. American uh, Mary. So Catherine falls under the poison dart. The poison dart is patient, precise, and deadly. You have all the time in the world, but all you need is that one perfect moment. It is your nature to see the worst side of every situation. 
You may not know it, but you look for the weakness in everyone. You despise blind fury. You are not impressed by brute strength. It's all about control, the weight, and the thrill of the hunt. I don't know anything about Catherine, so I don't know if that's accurate or not. I, I don't know her either. This is the last one. For now. Matthew Lillard, born... It's going to be like a future Patreon exclusive where we just sit there and just do a bunch of these. So Matthew Lillard is the beast. Dwell in the dark long enough and you should become darkness itself. <laughs> I'm sorry. <It's> so edgy. <laughs> the beast knows and accepts... Did they you. copy posts from someone's like Zanga account? Because this is how I don't know. This, right? and the show, this same text shows up everywhere when you when you Google Black Zodiac. I don't know. Like not. Some... Anyway, I'm sorry. So Matt Lillard. He's the beast. Dwell in the dark long enough, and you shall become darkness itself. The beast knows and accepts the evils inside them. You can point this evil in any direction, yet you would rather point it inwards than let it loose or set it loose on the people you care about. You are the master of your demons. You consume fury, pain, and despair like a bitter drug. The edge, the edge is so real. So real. The edge is so real. I cannot. I cannot. So to transition slowly back to the movie and to continue on with the Black Zodiac, um, I too found uh, an entire page on the Black Zodiac through 13ghosts.fandom.com slash wiki slash black underscore Zodiac. Yes, that is the full URL. I only read it out loud because it was short. This one says the Black Zodiac is a darkened version of the normal Zodiac, like its celestial counterpart, more eldritch black zodiac is divided into 12 arcane signs unlike its counterpart these signs represent 12 earthbound ghosts necessary to gain access to the oculus infernum for those of you who don't speak latin and did not watch the movie it means the eye of hell so yeah i just yeah there don't get me wrong there are parts of this movie that are fucking ridiculous but there are also parts of this movie that are you know fun and cheeky I just want to give credit to, like, all the writers. Like, like Rob White is, like, the principal writer on this story. Like, I, I don't know his other work, but bravo! Like, this is, I mean... Hell yeah! This, this work is just, like, it's, it's like, it has, like, that perfect level of schlock, and it, but it carries itself really seriously. So here's the thing, and I want to get, I want to get your uh, thoughts on this. So here's the thing. Inside the book that Kalina carries around, there is the 13th ghost. And this movie is called 13 Ghosts. And the 13th ghost is a ghost that is sacrificed willingly out of an act of pure love instead of being taken from misery and torment. It's called the Broken Heart. And what I find interesting about the 13th ghost is Demon makes a point of mentioning the 13th ghost when they're in the junkyard. He says, you'll never be able to do it not without the 13th ghost, which makes you sort of believe that the machine has to function with the 13th ghost or whatever Cyrus is trying to do has to function with the 13th ghost, which makes it, but it makes sense though. If, if you get what you need, how do you shut the machine down after you acquire the knowledge you need? You would need a 13th ghost as a failsafe. So I get it, but to have a record of the 13th ghost and how the broken heart came to be, doesn't that mean that the 13th ghost in this universe had to have existed somewhere before to have a record of it? So who was the original broken heart? Who was the original broken heart ghost? Who was the original 13th ghost? The way I read it, Basilius's machine was like 
blueprints given to him by the devil. And Basilius never never built the machine. He only had like the the blueprints and yeah, I mean, and the blueprints were like crazy intricate. It took a lot of time and research for Cyrus to like figure it out and to like get the right materials and make sure like all the proper spells. But uh, so I'd say like that thirteenth ghost kind of thing was like written as part of the blueprints because like I think that's the only way where like the rest of the movie kind of sticks into place where like Cyrus purposely chose Arthur. He ch- uh, he purposely chose the wife uh, as the withered lover as a ghost yes he purposely chose uh gene gene criticos arthur's wife as the withered lover and she was the last one to be picked because he had everybody else and then gene died the events between gene dying and and arthur getting the house was six months the beginning of the film wasn't the the juggernaut like the last ghost he needed to capture well he said he said to dennis this one and one more He's because Dennis said something. What do you mean about a 13th? Well, 13, ghost? well that, that's Arthur. So he, he was referring to I Arthur. I think, right, which means Gene needed to die or he needed to get. Well, no, maybe that could mean he needed to get Arthur to the house. So he needed to die to get Arthur to the house. I'm pretty sure she already died. Gene could have had already died scene. at that point. Um, the juggernaut very well. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which. <laughs> Can I just say, the fact that they drove a truck to a junkyard and Dennis was like, what do you mean you need bait? And they sprayed blood. That visual of them spraying an old junkyard full of cars with blood is just, I feel like I could smell copper. But look at the, but also like, look at like the raincoats and parkas that they're wearing. It was very like American Psycho in combination with the glasses that they all have on. Like, come on. And then, and then the first scene, we just see Matt Lillard just come out of the car and he just like throws himself, just, just giving himself like the worst headache, just really, really like chewing the scenery. Dennis also helped Cyrus get all the ghosts for his house. Yeah, for so... a shit ton of money he never got. Which, by the way, while they're while they're in the basement, they see the lawyer, who has cash like everywhere. I don't know, you know, a hierarchy of needs. Like you're you're running okay. for your literal life like, from ghosts. Fine, fine. No, I would understand. The house is destroyed. Why won't you go back downstairs and get the briefcase full of money? Why would you just leave? Because the love is the most important force in the world, Ryan. Love trumps money. Love can stop a demonic machine. That was the message of the movie, Chris. Well done. But it, it can't stop crippling debt, so like... No, it can't. <laughs> maybe go down to the basement and go get the money that the lawyer had. Like, the three was problematic. I guess maybe three problematic things I, I at the end of the film. One, they didn't go back for the money. Two, the family completely and utterly forgot about about Maggie. Maggie, Maggie just like, I, I quit. And like, like, they didn't even go to, like, search for her. And, you know, Maggie... She's she's an independent woman. She doesn't need anybody. And she could she could have just grabbed the cash and left. It's like peace. I'm gonna go on early retirement. But she, Maggie didn't even grab the cash. Maggie was just so over the whole situation. She's like, no, I'm done. Fuck this shit. This yeah. is nice. Maggie's all of us. Maggie's like the majority of us. Maggie is every yes. I feel like Maggie would be most people in that situation. Be like, fuck you guys. I'm out of here. You left me. 
fuck off. Your family's crazy. I think that since they don't do this in the movie and they only do it on the extras, I think we should get into the backstory of the ghosts a little bit. And then I think we should get into plot and writing aside, like our favorite ghosts of this film, if we have one. Not, I mean, maybe you want to say a favorite now and maybe that will change when you hear their backstory or, uh, you know, mm-hmm. how do you want to play this? Um, I think getting into their backstories right now is... Yeah let's, just, yeah, let's just go into backstories. Let's just get right into it. Okay, cool. So we've already gone into the angry princess, so I'm not going to do her again. Um, let's start with the firstborn son. Uh, he's the ghost of a little boy named Billy Michaels, who was a very massive fan of cowboys and Indians. He obviously liked cowboys. He's also a huge jerk, which I understand might be confusing because you see him with a tomahawk in his hand. But evidently, the reason why that happens is because while he was playing with another little boy, this boy found a steel-tipped arrow in his parents' house or whatever, and Billy, who brandished his little gun for being a cowboy, said, oh, let's play Cowboys and Indians again. And um, the kid shot him through the head, obviously thinking it was not real, he was play. And because he was a brat, um, he made the perfect part of becoming part of Cyrus's collection. But because... and So... He died. The way he looks is the way he died. He got shot from behind through the head. I mean, he looks scary. I mean, he looks all, creepy. All like, the, he doesn't do anything really. He just like he just you know just leaves around. But he's the only ghost. He's the only ghost that you see like on the ceiling or like on the side because he's, I think that that's because he's supposed to be a little boy. He is one of those kids that like valued his obsession with cowboys and indians above all else so like he was probably like i don't know if anybody here has seen uh we need to talk about kevin but he kind of gives me we need to talk about kevin vibes mm-hmm. um so yeah he's probably a little creepy but yes he's also, still a child. counterpoint counterpoint he like he he whispers all the time i want to play so he's just looking for a new buddy to play with so I think he's a friendly ghost. To play Don't with you? and consequently kill and like tear the limbs off like ants. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah know you know what? I feel like he I doesn't look like... like the kind of kid that plays to have fun. He looks like he plays to try and like, kind of like the good son with Macaulay Culkin and Elijah Wood. Like he's Macaulay Culkin. Spoiler alert for those of you who haven't seen that movie. Uh, so the next one we're gonna discuss is the torso. Um, which we sort of touched on already. He is the ghost of a gambler named Jimmy the Gambler Gambino. Not the most creative name in the book, but it's okay. Um, so he liked to bet. He liked to gamble, clearly. And he made a deal with another, with a, a mobster, I believe, whose nickname was The Finger. And he basically made a bet on a rigged bet. So he was he was inevitably yeah, was going to lose. Match. Yeah, he was going to lose. So after he lost, this mobster decided to make an example out of him and cut him into little bitty pieces, wrapped him in cellophane, and dropped him into the ocean. Yeah. And there you have it, the torso. Yeah. Which I also think it's odd that you call him the torso, but you see his head. I mean, it's not like his head is doing much. I mean, the, the torso has right, more... Right, but movement. then shouldn't it be called, like, the torso and head? 
Because if you're just no, the a torso, torso gets then... the top billing, the head is just the sidekick. Batman and Robin. Okay. Uh, next one is the Bound Woman. So she was a girl that came from privilege. Um, as Cyrus likes to put it, uh, she was born with a silver spoon in her mouth. And for lack of a... I hate saying this, but the way Cyrus puts it makes her sound like a... I don't like to slut shame. She likes to sleep around. Girl can have her freedom. And she left a quote-unquote string of broken hearts behind her. So on prom night, she went with the quarterback. And... Yeah, the quarterback uh, he killed her because he killed her yeah. and buried her under the 50 yard line, which is both poetic and stupid because that is a great place to look. Also, like the groundskeeper is like, hey, why is the why is the football field dug up like that? I'm going to go investigate. Before he was executed, his last words were the bitch broke my heart. So I broke her neck in cells. So, yeah, toxic, toxic masculinity. masculinity at its finest. Let the girl do what she wants to do. Yeah, and like, oh God, you just you murdered her and you murdered. Maybe she doesn't want to be tied down. Like you don't know her. Fuck that. You know what? Bound woman. What was her name in real life? It was Su- Susan Legros. You, Susan, you have my support, girl. All you wanted to do was yes. just have fun. We stand with Susan. We stand with Susan. So the fourth ghost we're going to talk about is the withered lover, which we've already sort of touched on. That's Arthur's wife, Jean. She died in really tragic. Uh, she tried. She died from her burns from the tragic fire that occurred in their family home. Total freak accident. It was after Christmas. One of the logs um, rolled out onto the carpet and basically lit the whole house on fire in like minutes. It was just a total tragedy, top to bottom. Loving family, the whole nine, and that was in Cyrus's eyes what made her the perfect candidate to be the withered lover in his little. So like two ghosts for the price of one, you know. Yeah, uh yeah you get, that, you get no arthur and, then they, and they have those tasty delicious kids to use as bait they would only be tasty if both of them were under the age of 10 which they're not shannon elizabeth is like how old is she supposed to be in hold on side side tangent yeah like she, she's how like is, <laughs> how old is she supposed to be in this movie is she in school because she's she's cooking breakfast i don't know if she's in school or out of school or maybe she deferred going to college just to like you know you know help her dad out but there is like a significant age gap between the two of them i guess i mean shannon elizabeth was probably like early 20s when this movie was filmed because like this wasn't too long after her after american pie which but yeah it's never it's never it's not really made clear she's definitely like college age uh but she like maybe deferred college just to help out with you know all the family drama all right, next one, the Torn Prince. He is the ghost of a kid named Royce Clayton, uh, born in 1940. So this is like the 40s, 50s, like greaser days, like poodle skirts, the whole nine. And he clearly had some issues. So he was challenged to a drag race, and that's how he died. So he had like a freak car accident because his brake line was cut. And he was this, like, rising baseball star in high school. They thought he had what it took to, like, go all the way and make it to the big leagues. And he tragically died. I think it's, I think he was, like, buried overlooking a baseball diamond. But that's why I'm he just looks... to get <laughs> Right. But that's why he was um, buried. Uh, that's why he has a baseball bat when you see him. Which is a very handy tool if you're a ghost. By the way, I love these ghosts are... Uh, I think I've said this already, but I like how they're very tangible. Like, they have things that they can work with, and they can touch you. 
and the torn prince has a bat that he can hit you with and the hammer can pull the nails out and the angry princess has a knife that she can use yeah I, this like the movie it's kind of like a meta commentary or meta narrative but like the movie as weird and elaborate it is it's still operates by rules so like i love that scene where like they're just walking around with this pane of glass with all the the warding shit on it and uh, like the 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 torn prince is going to town on the base on the glass um that was a really cool scene yeah i like the idea and again these are all things that you can expand upon in a you know in a netflix universe or in a hulu universe where um you can talk about how you found containment spells and drawing spells and how all of this stuff sort of happened. And again, this is a universe I would really like to... I want to practice magic like that. Right, like, who doesn't want to be, like, the next Aleister Crowley? Come on, man. We all just need a little bit of magic and some acid. It's fine. Okay, so the Pilgrimess. So I liked her backstory a lot. And she, I think, falls into that category of tragedy to maliciousness instead of just straight up evil like some of the other ghosts uh and it's sort of again why i really would like to see an expanded universe on the lives of these people as they lived on earth before they the the historical periods widely are widely different so that that gives it like a great vehicle like oh this takes place in salem massachusetts oh this takes place in like um, you know 1940s new york or something Right. How did you find these people? Um, how did you find these ghosts? Um, how did you pick them? Because they're not the only people that must have died uh, tragically or horrifically. So were, there were definitely elements that I think that uh, Cyrus was looking for that I would love to hear more about. Like, how did you select these specific ghosts? I know he was really attracted to Isabella Smith. That's that's the pilgrimess's name. Um, I know she, he was really attracted to her story. Because essentially the only thing she was guilty of is being an outsider. She did nothing wrong. He picks all of these people knowing that they are, quote unquote, the perfect addition um, to his library of ghosts. So I I would be really curious to uh, learn about his process for all of that. So again, give me a fucking expanded universe of all this shit. So the Pilgrimess is the ghost of Isabella Smith. She settled in New England during colonial times. She was an outsider. Of the town she moved into, obviously, because she moved from somewhere else. So that automatically made her suspicious. She was isolated from everyone else. And when uh, things started to die mysteriously around her, she was found guilty of witchcraft. And that was only made worse when her property burnt down and she magically came out of it unscathed. She escaped Um, the burning house and everyone's like, she's a witch! Exactly. She escaped a burning house unscathed and they put her in the stocks in a pillory and she died from starvation. So that's why she's locked the way she is as a ghost. Again, that that's sort of the more tragic uh, um, life that someone lived instead of being just an overall like douchebag while you were alive, like the juggernaut or the jackal or the firstborn son. He was a little jerk, too. Yeah, but I feel like the pilgrimage, it's more of that, like, Guillermo del Toro kind of ghost where, like... Oh my god, can you imagine if Guillermo del Toro designed the pilgrimage? Yeah, you know what, Dortello, del Toro should (sighs) redesign and and do the series for 13 Ghosts. Okay, canon. Um, But, like, like, 
the pilgrimist is one of those type of ghosts where like it's the trauma of their passing was so great it just leaves an imprint or like a a wrinkle in time or a wrinkle in our reality and it's probably one of the more tragic ones i mean they're all equally they're all tragic in their own ways but like the pilgrimage is one of those ones where like damn like she legit did nothing wrong and like society society turned her into a monster that sucks and that's sort of how i feel about this next these next ghosts so this is uh ghosts eight and nine they're together because they're the great child and the dire mother one of them they both lived very tragic lives one of them truly did nothing wrong though trigger warning for the dire mother who i'm going to start with uh her name was margaret shelburne she was only three feet tall so she decided to um try to find a home somewhere so she joined a um I don't want to call it a freak show, but that's what they used to be called. Uh, run by a carnival. Named, carnival. By a man named Jimbo. Uh, so here comes the trigger warning. Three, two, one, skip ahead. While during her stint in the freak show, she was raped by someone named the Tall Man. And, yeah, I did not remember that. And I read, it was yeah. Really random, I was like, oh. Yeah, and that's how the great child, a.k.a. Harold Shelbourne, was born. Um, he was a product of that. The great so, child. So, yes. He was sort of, ra- he has a very, like, childlike mindset. He never fully developed, whether that was for other issues or because the dire mother just tried to, went way into overprotective mom mode and, like, never let him function on his own or, or be out of her sight. Uh, Harold is pictured in diapers, being fed by the dire mother one night in the carnival. They kidnapped his mom as a practical joke, and she ended up dying. This enraged Harold to the point where he killed the kidnappers with an axe and went throughout the entire carnival and killed everyone else with an axe and put everyone up on display for paying customers to observe. And then I'm pretty sure he just died because he, you know... Well, let's see. Couldn't fend for himself. Or at least these are... These are the things that I've just sort of uh, uh, picked up. Oh, wait. So it says, like, Harold killed the kidnappers with an axe, keeping their remains, displaying them. When the owner of the carnival found out what Harold had done, he ordered a mob of people to tear Harold apart. There's apparently an alternate version of the story in the DVD commentary where it said that their deaths were caused by the great child rolling over onto the dire mother while she was asleep suffocating her and then he eventually starved to death because he can't feed himself damn that's dark shit that's dark i like that one better actually <laughs> mm, okay maybe i need to rewatch this with commentary that's the one thing i didn't do before this episode um okay um moving on the hammer obsessed so this was an african-american blacksmith who lived in the 1890s he was wrongfully accused of stealing by you know get this a white man um so mm, this is this is hard this is hard to talk about yeah because you know 2020 shit hasn't changed so trigger warning yeah please skip ahead so a gang of white men uh took this out on harold and they uh and his family too and his family they they hung his family 
to get revenge, uh, George, a.k.a. the Hammer, uh, took a sledgehammer and beat these men to death and then was subjected to the cruelest form of punishment by the rest of the town. He was chained to a tree and was killed by having the iron railroad spikes that you see protruding from his body uh, nailed into him by the hammer. He he carried around with him as a blacksmith by trade and, and the one that he used to get revenge on his family. Um, but also... They did some. I think I believe they cut off his left hand and, and cut off his hand. Replaced the sledgehammer. Yeah, because yeah, you see that in the movie too. He only has one like actual hand, and the other hand is his is his sledgehammer. And you see, so, you see him like casually remove the rainbow spikes from his body. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So again, this is also someone who legitimately did nothing wrong and just has an incredibly tragic end to them that Cyrus captured. Some of these some of these ghosts probably should be in containment cubes not to like walk the living earth ever again. But some of them truly had just tragic backstories and you know the majority of these ghosts just need a therapist. That's you know that's really what it comes down well, to. Well, you know what they say about about ghosts that stay here they have unfinished business. Mm-hmm. So the the ghosts need to like, you know, just a therapist to talk out the problems like they need a nice support. Just need group. to be told you legitimately didn't do anything wrong. Yeah. You shouldn't be here. Yeah, these all these ghosts are being like constantly gaslit and like they're just angry. They you know I get them for being angry, but like they just need to have. I mean, the juggernaut and the jackal. Okay to be angry. It's just, you yeah, know. the juggernaut and the jackal are the only two ghosts who legitimately deserve to be in, t- in containment cubes. I feel like with therapy, maybe the firstborn son could have been fine. But again, I get real like we need to talk about Kevin vibes from him, so maybe not. I don't know. So speaking of the jackal. He is the ghost of someone who was born in 1887 to a prostitute and had this insatiable appetite for murder. And he wanted to be cured, so he committed himself to an asylum. So kudos for trying to make progress, but it didn't work. Um, He had to be put into a straitjacket. And uh, he was thrown into a padded room, which was considered therapy for the most extreme cases back in the day. And after years of just kept in total isolation, which won't help you, newsflash, being kept in total isolation by yourself will only drive you more insane. Your brain just gets, like, because of the lack of sensory... Stimuli. The sensory deprivation alone will your your brain will start like unwinding yeah. itself and like play tricks in yeah. your own head. It's like it's messed up. That's not therapy. That is throwing away a problem and hoping it goes away. That is torture. So again, this is someone who went for help and didn't receive proper help. So I kind of feel bad for him, but he went so he was so completely unhinged after this that he started to scratch the walls of his confinement and they had to keep him permanently bound in a straitjacket he used his own teeth to gnaw through the straitjacket which is why he has a cage on his head and um basement after that they yes they threw him in the basement after that he just was completely repelled by any sort of human interaction because of this and when the asylum uh caught fire he chose to stay behind yeah he basically willingly stayed in the fire to to die which is why his hands are free Mm. because you know fire it would assume to have burnt off parts of the straitjacket so that he could you know 
And now we're going to talk about the Juggernaut. So the Juggernaut is uh, a serial killer. So this guy does deserve no mercy from any of y'all. Most of these other ones do, if not all of them, except pretty much this guy. This guy's name is Horace Mahoney. He was seven feet tall and uh, completely abandoned and ostracized by everyone except the person who raised him, which was his father, uh, who put him to work in the junkyard that we see him in. And when his dad died, he was sort of left to fend on his own. And because of this, he went on a killing spree. So he would pick up hitchhikers and lead them to the junkyard and kill them by crushing them. And because he has a pattern, he got caught very quickly. And because of the amount of people it took to take him down, that is why he's literally riddled with uh, bullet holes. Because they not only took him down with that, but they gave an extra round just to make sure he was down and gone. And that's why he looks the way he does. Those are the 13. And we already know how the 13th ghost is made. So those are your 13 ghosts. No, the thirteenth ghost is Matt Lillard. He showed us. He shows at the end as a ghost to give Arthur a pep talk. To like, go to your family. I was like, hell yeah, good for you, Matt. Uh, well, I would give this. Uh, yeah, I would give this uh, thirteen out of twelve ghosts because this was a very fun movie. I mean, it's a little bit clunky in places. I, I think the. There's a, I think it was a smart move to keep some of the lore out of it, but even besides that, there's still a ton of exposition. And this movie was a pretty short, it's like a 90 minute movie. Um, and given the fact that there's zero context with it, of course, you have to do some expositioning. I mean, like some of the scenes literally play out like a cutscene in a movie where like there's like a giant info dump like okay this is what i need to know from dennis oh let's oh we found karina we saved her okay let's talk to karina about what she knows the, i love the effects uh i love how all like the little breadcrumbs of world building like oh yeah warning spells are a thing i was like okay well, tell me more like oh no we gotta go we gotta go this way it's like okay cool we'll just just i'm just going on this ride with you for all of its schlocky fun, I find myself returning to 13 Ghosts so many times over the years. And I think that there are a lot of older films and a lot of older horror movies, especially that are problematic, like Sleepaway Camp. That is, from an LGBTQ perspective, an intensely problematic movie. But is it a good horror movie? Yes, it's a good slasher movie. It's one of those ones that I will always go back to, just like this one. I will always go back to this. But the backstories of these ghosts are what sort of make Cyrus as a character extraordinarily problematic apart from him being who he is. Apart from that, I mean, I don't I don't want to come off come across as ignorant, but I don't really see any super problematic things with this movie. No, it's for the most part, I mean, uh, it deals with heady topics in terms of the backstory of the characters. But for the most part, it's, it's, I mean, it's as wholesome as a but again, house with, movie could be. It's all, all, right, all, without knowing the backstories of all the ghosts, which you don't even get into in the film. You don't get into that until uh, you watch the extras on the Blu-ray or the DVD. B, look it up on the internet. Or see, listen to our podcast. Like, you, you're not going to know any of that stuff. And that's where it really becomes a discussion about how Cyrus picked these ghosts. But again, like I said, that I think that that does more to who Cyrus is as a person that he went after these people and these specific earthbound spirits. So I think that that's why I feel comfortable watching this 
uh, year after year. I definitely go back to this one frequently. I think it holds up. I enjoy the shit out of it. I'll probably just, I'm, I'm surprised I, I, I went this long without watching it, because, like, I've always had fond memories of watching it. I legit did not remember, like, a bunch of these, seg- like, the bathroom scene. I didn't remember that. I clearly didn't remember, like, the the scene with the truck spewing blood. You would think I would remember that. It's like, okay, well, this is cool. This is a, a good treat uh, for myself just to, you know, see experience things for the first time again, quote-unquote. Um, but, like, 100% Matt Lillard, like, oh, I just remember how over-the-top his performance was, and it did not disappoint to see that again. And I, I love that dude. That dude's great. So, yeah, nothing but good things to say about this movie, I think. And we're going to cover the 1961 eventually. I didn't want to pit these two up against each other because I know that it's a very loose remake in terms of plot. They take very few things from the original and transfer it to the remake. (laughs) But you know what? We've seen that before, but... I just really wanted to give this one its own moment because I think it deserves it. Yes, but we're going to watch the 1960 version in 3D. In 3D. Yes. <laughs> On that note, thank you for listening to another episode of Left for Dread. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Everything helps. You can check us out on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Overcast every Friday. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Pod. You can find us on Facebook, and you can check us out on our website at LeftForDread.com. That's right. Um, so we hope you enjoyed this fantastic schlockfest. Matthew Lillard, give him, give him an Emmy for this award-winning performance. He's a national yes. treasure. Oh, you, you know who's another national treasure? Nick Cage. That's Nick right. Cage. Next week, we're finally doing or we're reviewing Color Out of Space. Right, I've I'm, been... I'm so excited for this, like so, and I know Chris is doubly excited. Yes, cage match, cage match. Oh I'm very God. excited. So I'm I... so excited. So yeah, stay tuned. We're going back to the world of Nick Cage with one of his more recent films. So and it's it's Lovecraft. So good shit. Uh, Lovecraft. So obviously Chris is going to be obsessed with it. Yes. So very cool. So stay tuned. Um, and I hope you enjoyed this episode. And don't forget, stay dreadful!